Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Amen. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to Mark chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 15. This is our last message in the called series that you guys haven't been enjoying. I mean, this is the last message. <laughs> Next week, we're going to start a series titled More in 2024. How many of you want more? Amen. So plan to be with us next week. Amen. Today's message is called to go, called to go. I read a moving story about a pastor and his 11-year-old son who went into the city streets every Sunday after church to share Christ and give out tracts. But on this particular Sunday, the weather was terribly cold and it was pouring rain. And the boy bundled up in his warmest clothes and said, okay, dad, I'm ready to go. The father said, ready for what? And the boy said, it's time to go and hand out tracts. The father responded, son, the weather is way too bad. But dad, the boy protested, aren't people still going to hell even though it's cold and raining? The father answered emphatically, son, I am not going out in this weather. But the boy pleaded to go on his own. And finally, his father said, okay, and told him, be careful. So with that, the 11-year-old boy was off in the cold and rain to tell people about Jesus. Would to God that we had such a heart. Amen. Two hours later, he was soaking wet and freezing. But he had one track left, and he looked around the streets, but they were deserted because the weather was so bad, nobody was walking around. So he turned to go home, but on his way, he saw a house and felt drawn to go to the door. He rang and rang the bell several times, but no one answered. He turned to walk away disappointed, but something stopped him, and he went back once more and rang the doorbell and knocked very loudly. Finally, an elderly lady opened the door and with a big smile, the little boy said, I just wanted to tell you, Jesus really does love you. And I wanna give you a track that tells you all about Jesus and his great love for you. She said, thank you and closed the door as the boy walked away. The next Sunday, the boy's dad, the pastor, stood behind the pulpit and asked if anyone wanted to share what God had done for them this last week. An elderly lady in the back stood to her feet, and she shared how her husband had died a few years ago, leaving her all alone in the world. And she, she shared how last Sunday was especially difficult for her because the weather was so dreary and she felt hopeless and depressed and that she no longer wanted to live. She had gone into her attic, thrown a rope around a rafter, and stood on a chair and was about to put the noose of the rope around her neck. But she said, then somebody rang the doorbell. She said, I waited for the person to go away. But they kept ringing. And finally, when I thought they had left, there came a loud and persistent knock on the door. She thought, who on earth could this be? 
And she said, I went downstairs, and when I opened the door, it was a beautiful young boy with a radiant smile who said, I just want to tell you that Jesus really loves you. And he left me a little pamphlet. I read it, and I want you to know I placed my faith in Jesus. She said, She said, that little paper had the address for this church. So I'm coming here hoping to tell that little boy, thank you. Because of him, I am now a child of God. And I now have joy in my heart. Amen. When she was done testifying that day, there was not a dry eye in the church. Every heart was touched by how God used this young boy to touch this woman's life and bring her to Christ. Amen. Folks, this is what God has called each and every one of us to do. And if an 11-year-old boy can hear and answer the call of Jesus, what about us? Amen. Read with me, if you will, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. You know, we have, all, we have been looking in the last three weeks, coming up to today is the fourth, in this called series, we have been looking at the different calls that Jesus gives to every one of us. And the first one, of course, is the call to salvation. Then once we've answered that call to salvation, there are four more calls that every one of us must answer to be a follower of Jesus. The first call is the call to relationship, the call to worship, the call to know Jesus and live in communion with him. The second call is the call to community, to live in relationship with the body of Christ, with one another, with the church. The third call, which we looked at last week, is the call to serve. And today's call is the call to go and preach or make the message of Christ known. Everyone who has said yes to the call to follow Jesus has been given the privilege of being with him and the responsibility of going out and preaching in the power of the Spirit. Now, this called series reflects Jesus's strategy of discipleship. And Jesus's strategy of discipleship has four components. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's relationship with him, worship. Love one another, even as I have loved you. That's relationship with one another. Because by virtue of our relationship with him, we become connected to one another. Love to serve. Jesus said that he set an example of service for us when he washed the disciples' feet. Then we now are to serve one another. And the fourth aspect of discipleship is witnessing, sharing Christ, telling others about Jesus. So to be a true follower of Jesus, these four things must be taking place in our life. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving one another, loving to serve, and loving the lost by going and telling them about Jesus. Folks, in those four simple things, it tells us what it means to follow Jesus. If we're truly following Jesus, we're going to be engaged in all four of those things. Amen. It's quiet in here, but that's all right. I know you don't like this series. Amen. But every one of us who has accepted the call 
to salvation. We now have the privilege of being with Jesus and knowing Jesus, but we also have the responsibility of going out and preaching the good news of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Our ministry and our witness flows out of our relationship with Jesus. We are called to be with him, to have a relationship with him, to spend time with him, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in the word, to worship him both personally and congregationally. But there is a purpose to the privilege of being with Jesus. You can't spend time with Jesus without becoming like Jesus. And when we become like Jesus, we will love others, we will serve others, and we will go to the lost, and we will share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them because that's what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? So it's very simple, folks. It's not rocket science to be a disciple. It's very simple. You find it in those four elements. There is a purpose to our privilege of being with Jesus. It is to spend time with him and become more like him. And as we spend time with him, we become trained and equipped to go and do the work of Jesus, preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people will be saved, the sick will be healed, and the oppressed will be set free. The call to follow Jesus, the call to be a disciple, is a call to be with him and a call to go out and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls us out of the multitude. In verse 7, it tells us that a great multitude from Galilee was following Jesus, and he healed many, and then he went up to the mountain. And what did he do on the mountain? He prayed, and then he called to himself those that he wanted to be with him and to send forth. What I want us to see from this, he was preaching to the multitudes, but he called a small number unto himself to disciple them, and to send them forth. And what I want us to understand is this, numbers are not necessarily an accurate measure of the, of the kingdom success in the kingdom of God. Numbers are not necessarily an accurate measure of success in the kingdom of God. Many churches operate today by business principles rather than biblical principles. And this is perhaps most evident in the three means that they use to measure success. The three means that most churches use to measure success today, big buildings, multi-billion dollar budgets, and big numbers of people. Those are the metrics that, that people use to determine whether a church is successful or not. But these are not necessarily biblical measures of ministry success. Jesus ministered for three years and didn't even have enough money to pay the temple tax. He didn't have a big budget. It took a miracle of a fish coughing up a coin for him to be able to pay the temple tribute. Jesus never built a building. In fact, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Jesus didn't really have big numbers of true followers. In fact, after his death, the church numbered only about 120 who met in an upper room in obedience to his command. If you use today's metrics to judge church success, you would say Jesus and the early church were failures. Yet, they turned the world upside down, taking the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth in just one generation. Now that is spiritual success. You see, Jesus focused more on spiritual growth than numerical growth. 
Multitudes followed him, but he knew the multitudes were fickle. The multitudes came because of the miracles. They came because they had a need. They came because they wanted to be healed. They came because they needed deliverance or a family member needed deliverance or a family member needed healing. They came because he was handing out loaves and fishes, free food. But how many of them remained to build the kingdom after they received their miracle? In the early years of Jesus' ministry, the crowds were huge. As long as he was doing miracles and handing out loaves and fishes. But when his messages began to speak about the commitment required to follow him, stuff like, if any man would be my disciple, he must deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. When Jesus started to get down to the, to the core of what it means to be a disciple, where did those crowds go? They disappeared. In fact, on one occasion after feeding the multitudes, there was probably a crowd of about 10,000 if you include men and women that day. And after he fed the multitude, they were, they were all happy when he was feeding the multitude. But after he fed them, he started talking about what it meant to truly follow him and the commitment, the sacrifice it required. And you know what the Bible says? The whole crowd walked away. The only ones left were the disciples, and he asked them, would you also leave me? And, they, and, and Peter said, this is one time he hit it right. He said, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. But the multitude, they left. So you can be a part of the crowd and not be a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of crowded churches this morning. But not everybody in those crowds are following Jesus. When something more than just sitting and listening and receiving your miracle was required, the crowds rapidly shrank. So what did Jesus do? He called out of the multitude. Folks, he's calling us out of the multitude. He's calling us out of the crowd. He's calling us to be with him and develop a deeper relationship with him. And out of that relationship, he's calling us to go. You see, every church has multitudes in the sense that there are people who just come and sit and listen and receive. Whatever they, they are receiving. They might be receiving an encouraging word. They might receive prayer in a time of need. They might even receive healing or a miracle because God is so merciful. So churches are made up of multitudes that come and sit listen and receive but if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Jesus is calling us out of the crowd to move beyond just sitting listening and receiving and make a commitment to truly follow him to spend time with him to be with him to grow spiritually and to go and do his work this is how true kingdom success is measured and this is how true spirituality is measured. Let me ask you, which church is more successful in God's eyes? A church that has 10,000 worldly spectators who just come and sit and leave without their lives being changed? Or a church that has 100 people, 90% of whom are growing spiritually, they're becoming more like Jesus, and they are committed to doing his work? Which one is more successful in the sight of God? Jesus is not impressed with multitudes. 
He is concerned with growing disciples. He's concerned with those whose lives will be changed to be more like him and will, who will carry on his work in the world. Amen. It's great that the crowd is here. It's great the multitudes are here. But he's calling us out of the crowd. He's calling us to go beyond. He's calling us this morning saying, follow me. Step out of the crowd that just comes to sit, listen, and receive, and commit yourself to follow, grow, and go. Commit yourself to follow, grow, and go. Will you say yes to the call of Jesus today? Will you say yes to follow Jesus today, or are you content to stay in the crowd? Second principle, we see Jesus calls ordinary people just like you and me to do his work. Jesus wants you. What did it say? He called those out of the crowd that he wanted for himself to be with him and to go forth. Jesus wants you. You know, several years ago, the popular army recruiting poster uh, was a campaign that was used for many years, and it was a picture of Uncle Sam pointing a finger, and the caption read, Uncle Sam wants you, and it was a recruitment poster for the army. Well, I have even better news for you. Jesus wants you. Hallelujah. He called out of the crowd those he wanted. And he's calling you out of the crowd because he wants you to be with him and to go forth and tell the world about him. There's a reason that the people Jesus called are listed by name for us. And you can read those names in verses 16 through 19. You'll find names like Peter and John and James and Thaddeus and you names you're familiar with because it's the names of the 12 disciples. But as we read through them and really reflect on their lives, it should bring hope and encouragement to all of us because they were quite the motley crew. They were quite the bunch. They, they were all different, and in some way they were all difficult. They came from different backgrounds. There were fishermen, businessmen, a tax collector, a zealot, or a, you could call them a revolutionary that was trying to overthrow the Roman rule. Uh, then there was Judas, whose heart was filled by Satan, and he was also called a thief. And he was among the bunch. They had different backgrounds. They also had different personalities. Peter was what we might call a sanguine personality. Sanguine personality is that very outspoken life of the party. But, but, but they also have a problem that they're constantly putting their foot in their mouth. Because they speak a lot without thinking. And Peter was very outspoken and he was always getting himself in a mess because of that. And then there were James and John and, and they were quick tempered and promotion seeking. Quick-tempered in that one day they were in a town. The town didn't want to accept Jesus. So they said, Master, let's call down fire out of heaven and just fry them to a crisp. <laughs> Hot-tempered. If you don't accept Jesus. <laughs> My uncle, several years ago in the Caribbean, was led to the Lord by a, a Baptist missionary. I think his name was Brother Bob. And um, shortly after leading my uncle and his wife to Christ, 
Brother Bob tried to get him, you know, he was discipling them, tried to get him involved in going to share the gospel. And so he was going to the hospital to uh, share the gospel with some of the people in the hospital. And so one of the gentlemen in the hospital had been run over by a mass transit bus that had crushed most of his uh, internal organs and didn't have much hope to survive. So Brother Bob went into the room with my uncle and his wife and, you know, Brother Bob graciously presented the gospel, you know, and asked the gentleman if he wanted to pray and accept Jesus and the man refused. So Brother Bob respected that and said, well, I'll be praying for you. I hope things go well for you. And Brother Bob turned to leave, and my uncle and his wife were following him. And then my uncle said, um, I'll catch up with you in a minute. And he turned back, and Pastor Brother Bob went on, not thinking anything of it. My uncle, he was newly saved and <laughs> has quite the personality. Um, he turned and went back into the room. And he's, it, it, I, I'm not going to use the colorful language he used. <laughs> But he is saying, in, in, in much more inappropriate language, you idiot. You don't have much time to, to, to live. You are going to die, and you're going to go to hell because you refuse to accept Jesus. And he just told the man off. So um, a few days later, they were back together again with Brother Bob. And my uncle's wife told Brother Bob, please don't take my husband out evangelizing with you anymore. Because whatever you try to do, he turns around and undoes when you're done if somebody rejects Jesus. But anyway, so I, I think he had somewhat of the temperament of James and John. Let's call down fire out of heaven because they won't accept you. But just, just a funny story that came to mind. But anyway, and, and, and not only were they quick-tempered, they all were also were promotion-seeking. You know, on one occasion, they sent their mom to ask Jesus for the choice positions in his kingdom on the right and the left. Another occasion, they go on their own and say, Master, when you come into your kingdom, will you give us a position you know they were always ambitious and position seeking you know and, and, and then of course there was ones like Thomas Thomas was the skeptic the doubter I'm not going to believe unless I see and the list goes on they, they, they all had their unique personalities and they all had their own weaknesses and shortcomings wow I'm so God, glad God included all of that in scripture because that means there's hope for me and that means he wants me too Amen? And he wants you, too. You know, so this group, they didn't have it all together. They didn't have a whole lot going for them. They weren't wealthy. They, they weren't educated. They didn't have positions or titles, and they certainly weren't perfect. They all had weaknesses and flaws. They were just average, every ordinary day guys and, 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 and women, because he had women following him too, even though they weren't officially allowed to have the position of a, of a disciple in that culture. But they were ordinary people, just like you and I. And Jesus didn't choose them because they had great faith, because we know on several occasions he had to say to them, oh, ye of little faith. Why were you not? So he didn't choose them because they had great faith. He didn't choose them because they had great leadership skills or talents or abilities. They were just ordinary, regular people who he called to be with him and whom he would use in an extraordinary way to birth his church and reach the world with the gospel. How the Lord chooses, we will never understand. He chooses based on his wisdom not on what we or anybody else think we can or cannot do. You know, because when he called me, I didn't think I could do that. I was extremely shy. 
I've told you the story before, but my father, I didn't know this till I was an adult because it was the only home I ever grew up in, but he was very verbally abusive with me and constantly told me that I was stupid, that I would never amount to anything, that I could not accomplish anything. And so, you know, that, that broke me and it made me very insecure and very shy. And so at the age of 11, I get saved. I get baptized in the Holy Ghost. At the age of 11, I was already uh, in high school. I already had my plan. I was going to be a doctor. And um, I, I had my whole life planned out. And then I get saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and God calls me to the ministry. And I start having an argument with God because even though I was a straight-A student, I always had a struggle if I had to give an a, a, a oral book report or an oral presentation. I would almost rather take a failing grade than, than have to stand up in front of people. And, and, and so I, I'm wrestling with God and I'm saying, God, I want to serve you. I want to do anything for you, but, but don't make me preach the gospel because I can't do that. You know what, God, I can be a doctor and, 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 and I can donate a couple days a week to help the poor. And when I help them, I'll tell them about you. But you know, God wasn't having it. I, 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 a word of wisdom, don't try to argue with God or convince him to your way because it won't work. But in my eyes, I couldn't do what I'm doing today. I couldn't do what God was calling me to do. But you know what, God didn't, God wasn't limited by my opinion of myself. God saw beyond what I thought I was to make me who he was calling me to be. Amen. And, and in fact, you know, the scripture tells us that God often chooses those whom the world rejects, whom the world thinks are nothing and insignificant. Uh, we see that clearly in the story of David in the Old Testament, right? God is getting ready to anoint a new king because Saul is in rebellion. Saul has sinned, and God is getting ready to anoint a new king. And, and God talks to his prophet Samuel, and he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, and he says, there you will anoint the new king. So the prophet Samuel goes to Jesse, and he says, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be king. So Jesse goes and calls six of his sons. And Samuel, of course, goes first to the eldest son, because in that culture, tradition is, you know, that the, the eldest is the position of honor. So surely that must be the one that God is going to choose, right? And so he goes to the eldest son who is tall and apparently quite handsome, and he goes to anoint him, and God says, no, not that one, not that one. And God says to him, don't judge by the appearance or the height, for I have rejected him. Folks, the Lord doesn't see things the way we see them. God says he doesn't look at the outer man, but he looks at the inner man of the heart. So God doesn't see things the way we see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse goes down the line, right? From the eldest, God says no. Next oldest, no. Next, no, 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 all six of them. And, and Samuel is probably like, God, you said I was going to anoint a king here, but you're saying no to everybody. And so he says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse basically says, yeah, the youngest, but he's just a kid, you know. And, and, and David wasn't much to look at, you know. Uh, according to the scripture, he was quite small-framed, red-haired, freckled face, which was thought to be a curse in that culture. And, 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 and he was a musician. He liked to keep the sheet, take out his lyre, and sing songs to God. What kind of king is that going to make? And, and Jesse says, call him. And so they call in this kid that not even his father thought enough of to have him in the lineup. Not even his father thought enough of him. And when he comes and stands before Samuel, God says, that's the one I've chosen. That's the one I've chosen. Folks, I don't care how the world may have counted you out. 
I don't even care how you count yourself out. God sees something in you that he wants for his glory. Even if the whole world counts us out, even if you don't believe in yourself, God can still use you if you will just respond and say, here am I, Lord, use me. If you will answer his call and say, here I am, Lord, I give my life to you. He is calling you. He wants a deeper relationship with you, and he wants to use you in an extraordinary way to make a difference for him in the world. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. Jesus has chosen you. He has called you. Will you choose Jesus? Will you choose Jesus? Verse 13 says, Jesus called, and then what does it say? And they came to him. Folks, he is calling you right now, but he does not force himself on anyone. We have to choose to respond. They had to make a decision. And they knew that there would be a cost to answer his call. But they made the decision to choose Jesus. Jesus tells us there will be a cost to answer his call too. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is saying that we need to make a decision too. We can stay among the multitudes, content to sit, listen, and receive. Or we can choose to answer the call of Jesus. And when we answer the call of Jesus, we will live a life of deeper meaning and purpose. One writer shared how when he and his brother was kids, his mother had a particular call to get them to come home because they were always playing out in the neighborhood. And he said that her call was a superhuman whistle. He said her whistle was so piercing, it could be heard for th from three miles away. Now that sounds like a little bit of an exaggeration, but to him as a kid, that's probably what it seemed like. But he said her whistle was impossible to ignore, and we never wanted to ignore it. First of all, because it was distinctive. Only mom could whistle like that, and we knew it was her whenever we heard it. Secondly, it was authoritative. Mom was boss, and when she called, you better come. But thirdly, we were happy to answer her call because it was invitational. She really only used it to call us when it was time for dinner. So we gladly answered her call because we knew that goodness was to follow. He said it's the same way with Jesus. His call is distinctive. His call is different than any other voice, and you will recognize it. His call is authoritative. He is our Lord and our Master. And there is authority in his call. And his call is invitational. There is goodness that follows when we answer his call. Folks, Jesus is calling you. And though there is a cost, whatever we give up for him is nothing compared to the goodness that comes to us 
when we follow him and do his work. Amen. The third principle that we see in this passage, Jesus calls us to send us. Jesus calls us to send us out to continue his work in the world. Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we can become his apostles. I want you to hear that again. He calls us to be his disciples so that we can become his apostles. Now, we, we've been looking at what the word disciple means. It's a follower, a learner, an imitator of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and if we're his follower, we will imitate him too because we're becoming like him. So we will be going forth to seek and to save the lost. But a disciple is a follower, a learner, an imitator. But when you look at that phrase, he called 12 that they might be with him, and then it says that he might send them out. That phrase, that he might send them, comes from the Greek word apostello. In English, we say apostle. He called disciples to make them apostles. So we are called to follow him so that he can make us apostles, not in the sense of some official title or position in the church, but we are called to follow Jesus so that we can grow spiritually so that he can send us out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to deliver the oppressed. He calls us to be with him so that we can be trained and equipped so that he can send us out. Folks, the Christian life is not just going to church to go to church. We come to church to learn how to be with Jesus, to learn how to be equipped and trained. Why? So that we can go forth. Amen? So that we can go forth. And even though we may not all be called to preach behind a pulpit, we are all called to proclaim the message of Jesus to the world. Every single one of us. Jesus calls us to live for his kingdom purpose. We have been sent on mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So let me ask you, don't answer out loud. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus. And when was the last time you actually led someone to pray to accept Jesus? And when was the last time you brought somebody to church? You see, this is one of the key measures of whether or not we are truly a disciple of Jesus. Got awful quiet in here. This is one of the key measures of whether or not we are truly growing spiritually and becoming like Jesus. It is the evidence of being a true follower of Jesus. I read the story of a man named Schuyler who had an extraordinary encounter on an otherwise ordinary day while working on his computer in a busy coffee shop. A guy asked whether he could share his table because the other tables were taken. And so the man sat down and the two began to work. And it wasn't long before they started uh, talking and and the man shared some stresses that he was facing. So Schuyler, 
who couldn't just offer the man some sympathy and say, I'm sorry you're going through that. He started to talk to the man about how God had come through for him in a similar situation. And when Schuyler was done, he asked, what do you think about Jesus? The man said, I don't know. I, I grew up Catholic, but I never really read the Bible, and I don't really think about that all that much. Schuyler began to share the good news of Jesus with the man and praise God. Only a few minutes later, the man said, wow, I believe. And that day, in the middle of a busy coffee shop, that man prayed to receive Christ as a Savior. And then they continued meeting in that coffee shop to read and talk about the Gospel of Mark so that Schuyler could help disciple this new believer. Now, I want to tell you something about Schuyler. Schuyler was not a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist. Schuyler was not a super Christian. He was just a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus living on mission. He understood that wherever he found himself, he was sent, and that God was arranging divine appointments for him to meet people so that he could help them come to know Jesus. Folks, that's how easy it is to live on mission as a follower of Christ. You don't have to have all the answers. You can start by just telling people what Jesus has done for you. Every one of us has a testimony. And then you just, you just become a bridge to connect that person with Jesus. You're the bridge. You see, the gospel walks across the bridge of relationship into somebody's heart. We are that bridge. We know Jesus, the world doesn't. We meet somebody in the world, we connect them to the Jesus we know. That's what he's calling us to do. So that they can encounter him too. And so that they can grow to know and love him as we do. Personally, wherever we go, we can share the, the love of Jesus with the world. Wherever we go, we are, on, are to live on mission. So we, this is something we need to be doing everywhere, just like Skyler working on a laptop in a busy coffee shop. But he lives on mission, so he knows he's not just there to work on a laptop, but that if God brings somebody across his path, he's there to tell them about Jesus. We need to live on mission. Something we ought to be doing every single day. And, and, and not only uh, are we to be personally sharing Christ wherever we go, but we also invite you to be a part of our evangelism team. If you can even just go out one Saturday uh, a month, it, it will just thrill you to see this past week they went out again. Last week we had 11 that accepted Christ. This week they had five that accepted Christ. And every week we are seeing people come to Jesus. And that will just thrill you. It will just excite you. And it will show you how the gospel works and it changes people's lives. Amen. So I encourage you, everywhere you go, share Jesus. And then if you're able, join us at least one Saturday a month. 
go out with our evangelism team. It'll help you become bolder about sharing your faith as well, and it will help you to learn how to turn every conversation into a conversation about Jesus. If you're interested in being a part of the evangelism team, you can fill out one of those blue cards uh, on the back of the uh, chair that Lisette was talking about earlier and just put evangelism team, and Ike, our evangelism team director, will reach out to you. You can also be a part of our uh, evangelism club on Monday nights by Zoom where they're learning effective ways of sharing their faith. But all of these things can help us become what Jesus is calling us to be, those who are truly followers of Christ that are going into the world to share Jesus. For those of you who do not yet know Jesus, he loves you and he wants you. You're not here by accident. Jesus is here and he wants a relationship with you. We've all sinned because of our sin. We have been cut off from God. That's the reason Jesus came from heaven to earth and he gave his life on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and we could have a right relationship with him. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you would say, pray for me, pastor. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you did that years ago and you need to come back and you'd say, pray for me, pastor. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to repent of my sins and have a right relationship with him. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and you can put it right back down and just say, pray for me, pastor. I want to come to Jesus. I want to have my sins forgiven and I want to have a relationship with the Lord. Thank you for that hand. Is there someone else? Pray for me, pastor. I just want to come to Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer, and I'm going to encourage the entire congregation to pray along with those that are praying it for the first time this morning. It's just a prayer to repent of our sins, which means to turn away from our sin and place our faith in Jesus for forgiveness and to enter into relationship with him. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe that you love me so much that you died for my sins. Today, I repent. I turn away from my sinful life, and I turn to you. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I invite you to come live inside of me and help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. We congratulate you. We congratulate you on making the best decision of your life, and we welcome you to the family of God. That prayer was a beginning and not an end, and we want to help you to grow in your new relationship with the Lord by sending you a, a free e-booklet that will help you to know the next steps to take. In order to send it to you, we need your email address, so if you would, just text your email address to the number on the screen so that we can send you free of charge this little e-booklet. Amen. For those of us who have already placed our faith in Christ, a key measure of whether or not we're truly a follower of Christ and growing spiritually is that we will be living on mission. We'll be going out and telling people about Jesus. We'll be reaching the lost. And if you would today say, I want to commit to say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want to be a witness for you. I want to be an instrument to lead others to you. If that's your heart's desire, would you stand to your feet right where you are? Just stand to your feet right where you are. And from your own heart, you talk to the Lord and you make that commitment. Say, Lord, I'm answering your call and I'm ready to go for you. I give you my life. Just lift your voices up to him right now and you pray and make that commitment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of these that are standing today.
that they're saying, yes, Lord, I hear your call and I'm answering your call. And I'm saying, here I am, Lord, I give myself to you. I want you to use me, Lord God. So, Father, we make this commitment to you today, and we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit that you would enable us to live this commitment out when we leave from this building and we go into the world among those that do not know you. Father, just spur us by your Holy Spirit to share Jesus. Give us the words, give us the wisdom, Lord God, and arrange those divine encounters for us so that we can tell others about Jesus. May we be faithful witnesses of Jesus in this world so that others too may be saved and come to know and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you. And we hope you will join us again.